You're listening to For the Record, a registrar podcast sponsored by ACRO. I'm your host, Doug McKenna, and this is the rapidly changing higher ed landscape as a result of COVID-19. And y'all, while everything might feel crazy right now, we're going to get through this. Welcome. I'm Doug McKenna, and this is a very special episode of For the Record. The novel coronavirus 2019-NCOV, or COVID-19, has reached a pandemic status. As of today, the United States has more than 7,000 cases, and in order to flatten the curve of the epidemic, we're doing our part by enacting physical distancing measures to stem the flow of this infectious, contagious disease. I've decided to stop using the phrase social distancing, and I'd encourage you to do the same. We are really just physically distanced, but we're trying very hard to remain social in this new paradigm. So physical distancing is in, social distancing is out. Tell your friends, but do so electronically or telephonically. Quarantine work, baby! Institutions across the country have moved to online instruction, commencements are being canceled, and campuses are significantly limiting in-person services, if not outright eliminating them. We, collectively, are being asked to reinvent the way higher education functions, and we're doing it right in the middle of a semester. It's complicated work, and the number of logistical questions that are being contemplated across our campuses is staggering. The financial effect of coronavirus on higher education is practically unfathomable. This is a modern-day refiner's fire. What comes out on the other side is going to be different than what went in, and the number of blows delivered in this process will form and shape the outcome for years to come. We may never see a return to normalcy in higher education, And it remains to be seen whether that will be the positive change many of us have hoped for and worked to achieve. So it's often external pressure that mandates these large systemic changes. I'm thinking here of the enormous investment in IT infrastructure leading up to Y2K. And for the younger listeners out there, Y2K references the year 2000. The year 2000. And it highlighted a problem with computer systems that were largely coded with a two-digit year code. And no one was entirely sure what was going to happen when the 99 rolled over to 00. Would all the machines suddenly think we'd return to 1900 or 1800? Society was legitimately consumed with Y2K panic. And as a result, over a billion dollars in technical investment poured into higher education. Without that technical investment, we wouldn't be in a position to move to virtual instruction delivery today because schools would never have chosen to make that investment on their own. It was only this outside pressure that resulted in that investment. So what's been fascinating for me participating in the emergency operations group calls and the continuity of instruction working group and in a bunch of other ad hoc teams that have come together to deal with the multitude of issues this situation raises, 
is the reinforcement that higher education is exceptionally complicated. It is an intricate machine with so many moving parts. And the registrar's office is at the core of the student experience. Make no mistake, the next six months or so are going to be studied. They're going to be written about. They're going to be looked to as an example for years and years to come. So make sure you're taking good notes. You're doing a service for future researchers. Because one of the roles registrars play is that of the institutional historian. If policies change as a result of COVID-19, we want to be sure to document those discussions, the decision points, and the takeaways. And more, it's the registrar's job to advise senior leadership about what policy implications exist with the decisions that they're making. We are not passive observers. We must be active participants. It is a wild time to be in higher ed. That is for sure. So let's bring this back a bit and talk about us. That's what this podcast is all about, right? It's steeped in higher education, but it's registrar-focused because, let's face it, we're amazing. With so many changes to routines and exceptions to policies, we could talk about what's going on in registrar's offices around the country all day. For us, for right now, I want to focus on three specific challenges that have come up over the past couple of weeks or so. The first is extending spring breaks and shifting to 100% virtual instruction. What does this do to the academic calendar? The second is physical distancing of staff to mitigate exposure risks and pushing the office to telework and how to accommodate those various circumstances. And then the third relates to exceptions to policies, largely relating to grade schemes and when those are invoked. Okay, so one of the first things that a bunch of schools did was to extend spring breaks for students. This was done for a couple of really good reasons. We didn't want to bring students back into close contact with a whole bunch of other people who had been spread out throughout the United States and in some cases around the world. And second, we wanted to give faculty an opportunity to transition their courses into a virtual learning environment. So read moving things online. In my case, the registrar's office wasn't very involved with assisting faculty move their courses online. Mason has a director of online learning. We have a Stern Center for faculty development, and we have instructional designers to assist with those considerations. I am participating in the Continuity of Instruction Working Group, and that has representatives from all of the schools and colleges, along with the Stern Center, along with the Provost's Office and the Registrar's Office, to talk about faculty concerns and considerations uh, related to their moving things online. What I was deeply involved with and am, uh, continue to be deeply involved with, is the revision to the academic calendar. Since we bumped spring break by a week, what happens to finals? What happens to commencement? What about the drop deadlines, the deadlines for submission of your thesis or dissertation? When will registration for summer and fall classes happen? These questions were hotly debated by many parties, the registrar included, and ultimately I was tasked with coming up with two proposals. The first compress the remaining schedule into the time that we have left in the current spring semester, 
don't change commencement, don't change the degree conferral date. Or the second, extend everything by a week and ultimately also disrupt the published summer schedule. Ultimately, we went with the latter. We pushed everything out by a week for spring. We shifted all of our summer sessions by two weeks to start at the beginning of June. And those changes invoked some administrative housekeeping. Revisions to the published academic calendars, revisions to the web pages that reference registration and drop deadlines, coordination with student accounts for drop deadlines. We definitely wanted the decision made before we opened up registration for summer or fall because everything gets more complicated once students have registered for a section. While no one is in the section, you can do pretty much whatever you want to do with the section. It's no big deal. Not so once there are enrollments. So that was the calendar piece. Seems simple and straightforward. Just bump everything and go from there. Um, But this was literally days of my life over the past two weeks. So next, physical distancing. Notice again my abandonment of social distancing. As I said at the top, we're just physically distanced, but trying to remain social in new ways. So the Virginia Department of Health made a recommendation that people who could stay home should stay home, and then Mason began encouraging telework more broadly across the campus. So from my perspective, expanding telework isn't that big of a deal. My office has a bunch of people who telework regularly. We're spread across two campuses, and I have three full-time remote employees in Texas, North Carolina, and New York. No big deal. But shifting to 100% virtual service when no one is coming into the office, that was a bigger challenge. So we had to coordinate with telecom because we have a phone queue that operations staff log into in order to answer those calls. Um, And admittedly, we might also still be heavily reliant on paper forms. As embarrassing as that might be to admit, I know that we're not alone in that boat. So... Shout out to all the paper forms, registrar's offices. Uh, So contemplating how we would receive and process forms and how we would keep the work of the university moving forward was a big consideration. Ultimately, because students aren't on campus, having shifted to 100% virtual learning environments, we're getting most things electronically as PDF attachments. So we created a shared drive folder where attachments are saved, indexed, and then moved into our imaging system. And that was some creative thinking on the part of my senior associate registrar, Tom Butler, along with some of the operations and IT folks within the registrar's office. And then I've just been circulating telework tips for both teleworkers and for supervisors who may not have managed fully remote teams before. There is a lot of communication here from me, a lot of communication. I'm, I'm happy to post the telework tips that I provided. Uh, I'll post those in the show notes, but you're going to be just as successful with tips that you find on the web. A lot of people across the country have moved to telework recently, so it's a big topic at the moment. A lot of articles are being written about it. There's an NPR life kit Uh, about working from home that I would recommend. I'll put that in the show notes. Um, But you'll find a lot of information if you just wind up Googling uh, telework and supervising teleworkers. 
Because of the uncertainty associated with this situation, though, it's critically important to continue to emphasize to your staff that they are part of something and that they are important to you and that you value their continued contribution to their team, to the office, and to the university community. More check-ins are needed than normal electronically through messaging and email, but also, yes, a phone call now and then or a video chat. This is where we have to work to sustain the culture of service that we've been building by encouraging staff to remain connected to each other and to the university. So third, and finally for today, the registrar is involved in policy discussions, or we should be. Because of the physical distancing recommendations, institutions moved classes into virtual environments. And guess what? Students didn't pack all of their books when they left for spring break. And now some of our students are in rural parts of the state without their school supplies and without reliable internet access, sometimes even without their computers. And we expect them to finish out the semester strong and still succeed academically. This is a challenge. How do we balance the policies in place at the university with the extraordinary circumstances our students and faculty are facing in light of COVID-19? Should we give grades for this semester at all? Should everything be pass-fail? Should we let students decide whether they want grades? Should we put something on the transcript that this was the COVID-19 semester? If we let students select pass-fail as an option, should we let those classes count toward major requirements or general education requirements? Those requirements usually specify either a minimum grade or a grade type, generally A through F grading, for the class to be eligible to fulfill that requirement. And if we change everything now, how will this affect financial aid or accreditation standards or the student's degree audits? I was tasked with drafting a proposal for the Faculty Senate to contemplate related to grading for spring 2020 classes. As of this moment in time, there has not been a decision, but I expect that probably by the time you're listening to this, they'll have discussed and come to an agreement. Whatever happens, my role was to highlight existing university policies that might be affected by the selected course of action and to help the senators understand what other institutions are doing or have done, and how this might be put into effect at our institution. It's a policy decision that the Faculty Senate will debate and vote on, but as the registrar, I have guided that decision-making to the best of my ability. So those are a few of the issues registrars might be dealing with currently. We always want to stay grounded in the humanity of higher education. Students are people, They are dealing with a lot right now in addition to their classes. Faculty are people. They are dealing with a lot right now in addition to their teaching. Your staff are people. Here in Fairfax County, they have closed the public schools. Everyone in my family is sitting in my house right now. It's a lot. There's a lot going on. And so as a person... We need to recognize that other people are being affected in a variety of ways and that this is a very stressful, ongoing, fluid situation. 
as the registrar, you have a role to play at your institution. Many roles, in fact. But it's times like these that require a steady hand, calm and rational thinking, flexibility, and overall compassion. On a personal note, I hope that each of you is taking some time for yourself to manage your stress. You are dealing with a lot right now. Stretch, drink more water, get a good night's sleep, do some light exercise. Reach out not only to your team, but to your friends and to your family. Check with people to make sure they're doing okay and talk to people who can help you stay okay. Remember to put on your own oxygen mask before attempting to help others. We will get through this. Thank you for listening. I'm working on a couple of different episodes at the moment, and depending on schedules, we'll see which one gets finished next. But stay tuned. If you're enjoying the podcast, please share it with a colleague. Remember to sign up for the mailing list from the ACRO website. And until next time, cough into your elbow, wash your hands frequently with warm, soapy water, try to stop touching your face, and take good care. I'm Doug McKenna, and this is For the Record. For the Record!